0: how much it matters. Joining me is Billy Isley, a Senior Policy Analyst at Americans for Prosperity. Before he joined Americans for Prosperity, Billy was working on the Hill for Senator Rand Paul, and he was handling his technology and criminal justice portfolio as his legal counsel. Billy, thank you so much for joining the show.
1: Hey, thank you. I'm I'm glad to be here and glad to talk about everyone's favorite uh, tech policy issue these days
0: so uh the reason we thought it would be amazing to bring you on is because you just published uh an opinion piece at slate that i thought in my opinion had a lot of response positive response and interaction with it and everyone was talking about it so we obviously want to be you know at the the front of the discussions in tech policy so we wanted to have you here to kind of talk us through the piece and in general the work that you do at afp so the name of your piece which we're going to link in our show notes is Revising the law that lets platforms moderate content will silence marginalized voices. That's a very strong you know, statement. And I fully agree with you. But I want you to work, work our um, listeners through your arguments. And let's start with just your background, right? Because I think that plays a very big, important role in how you talk about this.
1: So where did you grow up? So I'm from the great state of Texas. Um... Uh, In terms of identity, I am uh, a Dallas Cowboys fan, um, Mm -hmm. which is super important to me. I'm also black and gay. Um, And that's really the sort of lens I brought to this piece because the first time I told someone that I was gay was in a MySpace um, group, right? The first time I joined a a gay group or a gay organization um, was on MySpace and then on Facebook. It wasn't in high school. My high school in Texas did not have, you know, a P flag or a gay organization for, for kids to hang out in. So the internet was really the first time I was able to sort of really talk with someone else about what I was going through or about who I was. Um, and it's become this really great organizational tool for people around the world and people around the country to be able to. Escape the regional boundaries of their communities and find new communities and connect with people who have their same backgrounds. Um, And I really wanted to explore that because one of the things that I've seen happen a lot, especially on the conservative side, and this is not me, um, I don't want to chide anyone else who has defended or advocated for Section 230, but a lot of the arguments that I hear um, are in. Forms of generalities, right? You know, this is really good for free speech. Section two hundred and thirty really defends free speech, right? Or uh, it's in terms of the business benefits. Um, Scott Lintzicome over at the Dispatch wrote a couple weeks ago uh, about Section two hundred and thirty for them. It's an excellent piece, Um, but there was a heavy focus not just on you know general free speech conceptions here, but also on the fact that it has Section two hundred and thirty has uh, a huge Uh, benefit, economic benefit, for internet publishing companies. These are all good reasons, but I think one of the things that's missed a lot is the very specific ways Section 230 allows people who are typically ignored by the mainstream um, to finally have a platform to connect with other people and have their voices be heard. Um, And that's one of the things I really wanted to highlight in this piece from a conservative perspective.
0: So that is such an important perspective that I think is missing in this debate. And you, first of all, Dallas Cowboys, how, how could you? That's the only thing I don't like about you. So much to like, um, but I think Dallas Cowboys are suffering as it is. So I'm not gonna continue to rub it in.
1: I appreciate that.
0: I'm a Patriots fan and you know, it hasn't been a good season for us either if that makes you feel better. Not as bad as yours, but it's pretty bad. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so talking about your perspective as a you know conservative person, um, who is a member of an LGBTQ plus community and who's also black. I, I think that's such an important part that is missing from this debate. And you obviously you work on tech issues at Americans for Prosperity. And so I'm guessing when you first started working on those issues, um, what were the other things that, and when I say these issues, I mean, section 230 reform, the debate around section 230, the debate around on one side, anti-conservative bias and then on the other side, um, the fact that Platforms don't do enough to moderate. What is jumping at you from like that plethora of issues?
1: Um, I think there's two main things that really sort of struck me in this debate. Um, First of all, I think that um, quite honestly, the people who are against Section 230, there's I think there are two camps, right? Um, There are some good faith. I think we I think we need to concede this. There are some people who have good faith critiques of Section Two Thirty. I think they are wrong in terms of how uh, narrowing Section Two Thirty would impact the internet for the worse. Um, And then there are some people who are speaking less in good faith, right? Who are using it more as a political cudgel um, to find a new way that they can sort of work the refs. with regards to Facebook, Twitter and other platforms to come out with moderation decisions that benefit them. Um, and I, I think once I sort of recognize that, the sort of uh, two sides of the debate here, um, it was easier for me to sort of reconcile, you know, what messaging what, what sort of narratives we needed to counter. Um, and also to sort of honestly, to, to put it simply, disengage with the haters, right? Like if if you're criticizing Section 230 because you want to have you know uh, a moment in a congressional hearing, then it's not much that I can say to your staff or to you to disconvince you about that. But if you are someone who's arguing in good faith that Section 230 needs to be reformed, then what I can pressure you to do is to recognize the very real impacts, negative impacts that you will have on free speech uh, to both um, marginalized communities and also, you know, regular people on the internet, right? Like, I don't want to just say this as like, save 230 because it's good for the gays. It is good for the gays, but it's also good for everyone. And and that's the sort of um, critique that I really tried to push in this piece and that I've really tried to engage with other people on.
0: I'm gonna guess that people who disagree with you, because I mean, I agree with you. So I'm gonna try, I hate being devil's advocate, so I'm not gonna to try to do that, but I'm gonna to try to put myself in their mindset and say, and you know, push you on that and say, well, what would exactly happen to marginalized communities if Section 230 goes away? Why is that gonna be the effect?
1: It would be harder for these communities to survive. And the one thing that I would point to always is the boogeyman in the room because the boogeyman is real and it's Sesta fasa. Right? We saw what happened when Sister Foster was passed, Reddit, Craigslist, all these uh, uh, platforms who allowed you know, sex workers or other groups to you know, discuss things that were completely legal speech, um, had to close those communities down because they couldn't subject themselves to legal liability. Um, and quite frankly, as I say in the piece, if I was a lawyer for some of these companies, I would have told them to do the exact same thing because you have a, a new law in the books that basically narrows Section 230 in a way from specific protections, away from this general liability shield. And what's the best reaction to protect your company? Don't host any speech that even possibly could be tied to the speech that's no longer protected um, by this general application, this general rule that protects platforms from being sued uh, for user content, uh, user. Generated speech. So, what happens if we decide to narrow Section 230? Um, well, number one, now there's going to have to be litigation. How do we actually apply this new, um, uh, this new language, this new legislative language, right? Um, so that's going to happen. And, and number two, in light of that litigation, there's going to be an, a, going to be a, a change, a shift in how platforms view generated contents, user-generated content. And it's going to flip. The way platforms view user generated content on its head because right now the general view is hey we should allow content to stand unless it violates our terms of service um and now it's going to be hey look if we allow this content to stand is are we going to get sued um and i think that's going to impact everyone's speech but since marginalized communities especially have become very you know dexterous at using the internet as a platform to engage uh, and to organize, it's gonna have an outsized disparate impact on those communities. So that's the way I tend to talk to both conservative and liberal um, uh, individuals who, who say that there needs to be a change to section 230. I say, have you fully reckoned with the new reality that that change would impose Um, both on platforms and individuals and on the existing communities that have been formed already. And spoiler alert, I don't think most of these people have.
0: (laughs) We're recording this at 3 p.m. on a, I was going to say Thursday, on a Wednesday. It's been a long week. We're recording this at 3 p.m. on November 4th. Uh, We still don't know who won the presidential election. But one thing that I can really tell is when I was staying up till 4 a.m. yesterday and all day today, looking at the map, you know, uh, at the results that were coming in. United States as a country, it's very much split, right, ideologically. um, And it's not just geographical, like they were all, you know, you look at a state and there are blue dots and then there are red dots and so on and so forth. And I think what people also are forgetting is that if you get rid of section 230 and it's free for all for regulation of the speech, you know, speech on the internet, which again probably is going to be found unconstitutional, but um, There might be self self kind of moderation extra censoring, even though I don't like using the word censoring uh, but self censoring not to be facing the liability. The problem is that the country is very much. I don't want to say 50-50, but whatever moderation policies are, they're not going to, you know, be one part of the country is not going to be happy with them, right? I live in DC, you live in DC. Um, I think we can say that this territory <laughs> skews pretty much liberal. And so I um, I mean, you're one of the conservatives who lives in DC, and I'm sure it's not an easy conversation to have when like a very big majority of people around you are leaving liberal. And so like I just am asking our listeners to multiply that by the size of internet right like by the scale of moderation that is the great internet or even if you just think about quote-unquote internet in the United States. Anyway I'm going to get off my soapbox but I think you're making such important points and so you mentioned SESTA-FOSTA. We have a couple of bills that have had some steam Um, obviously right now nothing is happening but whatever happens with the election I think Depending, it looks like Senate is going to stay Republican. I think we can make that prediction.
1: Yeah, I would sign on to that.
0: Uh, For at least right now, Uh, what are the bills uh, that you are most worried about/slash unhappy about? Are there any bills that you are happy about?
1: Uh, So no, there are no bills that I'm happy about. (laughs) (laughs) We're on the same. (laughs) Um, So I would I would sort of divide the. So I'd say there's around ten pieces of legislation on Section 230 that have been introduced in uh, this past Congress and I would put them into two different buckets, right? You have one bucket that is a wholesale sort of regulatory change in how Section 230 operates. Um, This is Senator Hawley's legislation that basically says that the FTC becomes the, uh, I, I hate to put it this way, but I think it's accurate, like a bit of a free speech police, right? They would have the ability to, review and evaluate platforms to determine whether they're acting in a politically neutral way um, and then determine whether or not um, Section 230 would apply to those companies, right? That is a complete restructuring about how Section 230 works, right? You are putting a government actor in the the chair to determine whether or not free speech policy should apply. Um, And on the other bucket, you have um, legislation that basically, very simply, narrow Section 230 dramatically. Um, so what I would point to as an example of this is Senator Blackburn's legislation. Um, Senator Blackburn and Senator Wicker uh, and Senator Graham, I believe as well, all joined into the same legislation that said, hey, look, um, we think that the, the language in Section 230 that says um, otherwise objectionable um, content can be removed as long as it's in good faith, um, what they do is they remove the otherwise objectionable piece, and they instead say that the only material that can possibly um, be taken down that is protected from uh, legal liability is stuff like terrorist content um, or, or self-harm, things like that. Um, I think both of these approaches are bonkers. Um,
0: That's a legal
1: and- term. Bonkers is a legal term. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I think... I think for for two reasons, right? Um, and I actually don't go into this too much in my piece because I was really more focused on sort of shifting the discussion in regards to how Section Two Thirty would uh, reform would would change uh, the 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 business incentives for allowing free speech. But I think I'll just dive into it really quickly. Um, I think the the bigger regulatory approach is by far the scariest to me because you mentioned before how divided the country is now. Um, to me, it is a recipe for disaster to empower a government actor to determine what speech should be allowed, right? Or to sort of um, push um, uh, companies to engage in political neutrality in an area where the government decides what political neutrality is.
0: Right, so it's like, so for example, we don't know who the president is going to be right now, You can say to Democratic voters, do you want President Trump to be the one who decides what's politically neutral and what should be on the platforms? And then you can tell Republican voters, do you want President Biden to know or to decide what's going to be online and what's politically neutral and what's not? So that truly works. Um, That ping pong of, I mean, we see this even on stuff that's not First Amendment protected speech, right? Net neutrality would be a good example. Uh, you and I both kind of are familiar with that. It's part of tech telecom space. But neutrality under a uh, Democratic president uh, goes one way and then under Republican law goes another way. And let's say, uh, I'm gonna predict that if uh, President Biden wins, uh, whoever he appoints as FCC chairperson, um, they're gonna reverse whatever um, the chairman under President Trump did. Uh, so it's it's that ping pong that you don't really wanna do with speech, especially on a scale where speech online has become such an integral, such an important part of a democracy.
1: No, I I think that's right. And um, one of the things, so net neutrality is, is one of my most, I'm so annoyed about this subject, right? Because we are stuck in this ping pong cycle, right? And it seems like we are just doomed to it until Congress decides to engage in it and Congress doesn't seem to care. But that's a different subject altogether. Um, but the reason why I bring this up, and I'm really glad that you mentioned it, is it would be even worse for if that sort of ping pong cycle was applied to free speech online, right? Because the scale of how it impacts so many different companies and so many different communities and individuals would be even worse than net neutrality in my view. Um, and I just really hope that, um, in the next Congress, people sort of recognize that. Um, I think Holly's bill is not going to go anywhere, right? I think, I think, I think that's for sure. Um, but I believe that the the more likely sort of shifts, which are the narrowing of bills, right, to say like, hey, you know, Section Two Hundred and Thirty has, you know, been misconstrued, even though the text is very clear about what it actually wants to do. Um, those bills that narrow the applicability of Section Two Hundred and Thirty. Are going to have much more of a of a negative impact than that they think, and I'll, I'll just give you one example, right? Um, I've talked to people and asked them, like, "Hey, you know, if you are to limit Section Two Thirty to only apply to terrorist content, um, self harm, um, and you know, a couple of other issues, what about spam? Right? Um, what about you know, what about porn?" what about like all these other things, right? Like, is, is it gonna be clear? Are we just going to, oh, what about actually one of the biggest examples, um, medical misinformation, right? There's a whole big push in March and April of this year from Democrats. So they wanted companies to do a better job of, um, of moderating medical misinformation regards to COVID-19.
0: But if, if it's Republican government who's deciding what is medical misinformation, I think Democrats wouldn't agree with them even on the substance of that.
1: That's exactly right. Um, and one other thing, not to make a big shift here to to a different um, point I made here in this piece, but I want to be clear that I am not a techno um, utopian person, right? Like, um, the way that I put it is that the same tools that I used to connect to the gay community, right, or to talk to black folks, about you know, important issues that uh, really only our community are talking about is the same tool that, I mean, unfortunately, Nazis use to congregate and connect with each other, right? Like, I'm not gonna deny that. I'm not gonna deny that there are negatives to the, um, the communication infrastructure that we've created. Um, but what I do want people, both the public and to congressional members to, to recognize, is you shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like section 230 um, is the free speech equivalent of a rising tide that lifts all boats. Um, and you might be breaking up some sea monsters along with those boats, right? And we could talk about um, how businesses and the government can work together to deal with those issues. Um, but section 230 is I think one of the worst, most dramatic tools that you could use to get to that problem. Um, and, and that's the main thing I want people to, to sort of walk away from this piece understanding that, um, that, yeah, we have problems on the internet, right? Like we have problems with, of harassment. We have problems with terrorist content. Um, We have problems with disinformation, but eliminating section 230 or narrowing it isn't going to solve those problems. And there are much better ways that we as a country can deal with those problems without using the law.
0: I don't think I could have said that better. And honestly, uh, I'm not sure where we can go now that you kind of made a very kind of logical conclusion to what we we're talking about. Then Billy, thank you so much for joining us. Before I let you go, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about uh, what Americans for Prosperity is, what you guys do, where they can find you personally and the organization, follow your work. We're gonna link obviously to your article and your Twitter in a show notes, but any additional information?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BillyEasy2 um, and Americans for Prosperity is a grassroots broad-based organization that focuses on uh, issues all over the spectrum from criminal justice to technology issues um, and we're trying really trying to find a way to bridge the divide between both conservatives uh, and liberals to, to work together to break down barriers and allow people to achieve their full potential um, through policy um, and digital free speech is clearly one of those things that applies. so I'm, I'm really glad that we're working on this topic
0: well you have your work cut out for you and we wish you best of luck I'm sure we will work together um, in the future on these issues so and uh, I'm guessing by the time our listeners um, download this episode they're going to know who the president is so I'm hoping for whatever the result is you're all safe and okay and we're going to get through this thank you